You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast. Hello and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy. And I'm Norm. And today we're going to be talking about Black Sonata. We're also going to be talking about a few other different things throughout the podcast, including hidden information in board games. We're also going to be talking about components and how they're justified through the game design and our thoughts on this solo print and play. But as always, before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping to go over first. We're now into, what was it, round number four, Scruffy, of our major? That's right, round number four, hard mode. <laughs> is that the official title of round yes, four? that's the official title. Round number four, hard mode. <laughs> well, in, in this round, we are dealing with a megaopolis for the first time. And if you're uh, not in the tournament anymore, then you're very welcome to try and join in and try it out as well. See if, see if you can handle it. And for anyone who is still in the tournament, if you haven't tried them before, they are a lot of fun. First time I encountered them was when I did the tournament on Facebook. I'm excited to see how you guys get on with them. So if you're a first time listener and you have no idea what we're talking about on our discord, we're running a mage night tournament, which is into round number four. As Scruffy said, we're now doing a megaopolis as our second city in that one. It's been increasing in difficulty. So if you want to check out our Discord or follow along with that tournament, you can. The links to our Discord are down in the description. Just click the invite and you'll be able to join. It is absolutely free. Okay, so Scruffy, let's crack on with the episode. Tell us a little bit about Black Sonata. Certainly. So Black Sonata is a hidden movement game in which you are trying to find the identity of the Dark Lady, Shakespeare's alleged muse. At the start of the game, one card from a deck of potential Dark Ladies, the Clue deck, is chosen to be the Dark Lady and placed face down under the game board. Each of these cards doubles as clues to the identity of the Dark Lady. The aim of the game is to uncover the clue cards to eventually identify the Dark Lady. The game revolves around a central board with 11 locations. The player places their token on one at the start of the game. There is also a stack of stealth cards which determine the possible locations on the board for the Dark Lady. During a turn, you will first move the Dark Lady by flipping a card on the stealth deck and looking at the potential locations on the board she could be, each stealth card having an image which might correspond with multiple locations on the board. Then, the player may either pass, move one space to an adjacent location, or try to search for the Dark Lady in their current one. When searching, the top card of the stealth deck is placed under a location card with a hole in it, which matches the location the player is searching in. The player then flips it over to see if the Dark Lady figure appears through the hole. If there is a figure, then the player flips a clue card from the deck face up, or may confront the Dark Lady and guess their identity if they already have enough clues and feel they can do. If there is no figure on the card, it is simply discarded and, finally, regardless of whether there was or was not a Dark Lady, a number of cards equal to how many clues the player has already found are put from the stealth deck to the bottom of the deck without looking at the cards. You will lose the game if either you guess the Dark Lady's identity wrong 
or if the stealth deck cycles a certain number of times. I think that's everything. The only thing I haven't mentioned is the fog cards. These are cards which are added to the stealth deck after searching for the Dark Lady, and they can be used when they cycle back around as one-time bonuses. They also trigger a loss if the fog deck is ever depleted. Oh, and one final thing. Once you visit every location on the game board, you get a free clue card. So there's incentive to move around the board. I think that's everything. I think that is everything, yeah. It's really difficult to actually explain how searching for the Dark Lady works, Scruffy. Yeah, I remember reading the rules and having to reread them several times because it's really, it's funny how you do it. That you put a fog card under the top deck of the stealth deck, which is essentially the potential locations where the Dark Lady is. And then you take that top card, which might be where she is, put it under the location you're searching for her in, which is where you are, and then you have to flip it upside down and the location's got a kind of hole in it so you can see through and see whether the Dark Lady's there. It's hard to explain that without actually doing it visually, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like it's one that would be better suited for like a YouTube explanation rather than a podcast one because it's actually extremely easy. It's just a case of matching two cards together and then if you've guessed correctly, uh, the Dark Lady will appear in the... uh, in the hole that's that's created now i mean the ambiguity is there because the stealth deck is just a deck of cards with pictures on them and those pictures could correspond to locations on the board so the locations will have two or three pictures or maybe even one actually some places where that say this location and they're all quite generic like a, a picture of a, a beer mug or a boat or a tree and then you look at the stealth deck and it's a tree and you go okay so which locations have got trees on them you know I feel like I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but <laughs> no, it is really difficult. It is really difficult. I think you've, I think you've done a fine job, Scruffy. <laughs> Good, thank you, Norm. <laughs> it isn't, it isn't easy though to kind of get your head around. There are a few things like that I thought were, and actually, the rule book says if ever a rule reads as unintuitive, it is because we are trying to preserve the hidden information that's required for this game to work because it is at the end of the day a solo hidden movement game which is a very unique concept i mean did you have any preconceptions about how this would work when but when you were going into the game or what were your thoughts going into it no i I didn't have a clue how it would work i mean my first sort of feelings when i encountered the game were oh okay so the identity of the dark lady is like cluedo she's she goes under there and you need to find three things, the candlestick or whatever. That was that was pretty self-explanatory. And I was like, but then still, how does the hidden movement work, though? And it's only when you kind of get your head around the deck and how it works, maybe even do a playthrough that you kind of really go, oh, I see. <laughs> it all feels really bizarre. Like setting up, it felt really weird. Like, OK, why are you asking? What's the sequence? What are you talking about? Like the way you have to set up the stealth deck, it's you have to do it in a certain order. And you go, well, but why? And, and that's to ensure that the, the Dark Lady only moves one space, or if you're playing on the increased difficulty, one or zero spaces, that you have to have the stealth deck in a certain order. It's Yeah, it's, we're making it sound like it's quite a complex game. It's actually very light, and it plays in about 30 minutes. So yeah. please don't get it twisted or mess, messed up if you're listening and you haven't played Black Sonata. It's just because it's not like anything else I've ever played before that we're having a hard time explaining it over the podcast, but it's actually 
I think, a very easy game to learn and to play rules-wise. Now, that's a really good place to start, Scruffy, the stealth cards and how they're set up to, to track the uh, Dark Lady's movement. I just want to unpack that a little bit because I thought it was very, very clever from a design point of view. So on these stealth cards that Scruffy's been talking about, yes, on, on their front side, they have a... Or on their, on their face-up side, they have a picture that will correspond to either a or a location, or most likely, in fact, I think all of them, multiple locations on the on the map. But on the flip side of the card, they have two rows of letters. So four letters on the top and four letters on the bottom. You pick one letter. Let's say I pick the first letter on the top left. All you then have to do to set up the Dark Lady's movement is then organize all the other cards from A to Z using that letter that you selected. And if you put them all in alphabetical order, that will ensure that the Dark Lady will only move one space, so her movement makes sense. Now, my first thought with that, Scruffy, and I don't know what you thought, but my first thought was, well, isn't there a way of solving that? Isn't there a way of just going, okay, well, if you choose the same one, then surely it's not replayable. But then the game does something very, very interesting. It says, now that you've ordered the deck, cut it any way you like. Because cutting the deck will not affect her path. You, she will always still move one space. And it's that cutting of the deck that randomizes her starting location and makes it feel very different every time. And I thought that was such a clever way of doing it i'm i was surprised that no one had thought of something like that before you just have to order these cards and then cut the deck and now it's infinitely replayable you're not going to be able to unless you're really making some sort of special effort to you know write down her path each time you're unlikely to uh be able to crack the code would you agree with that scruffy yeah i think finding the path and having the replayability there is something that the game makes pains to do it even has some extra sequences in the book for not just alphabetically ordered things but yeah so you've got eight different sort of coordinates there that you can alphabetize by you can then you could do it instead of a to z you can do it z to a that doubles it as well it gives you a lot of ability to avoid noticing routes that she's taking (laughs) one thing i found a bit interesting though with that is even though the game does do that and that means you can't predict that there is one design choice that i had to try and avoid noticing and i don't know if i got the rule wrong but it says the so the the dark ladies are in pairs so you've got they've got each got kind of a suit on the back and they when you when you pick one you put the other one that matches their suit on the top of the deck so that's the one you encounter first as your first clue now the problem with that is if you play the game enough and become familiar with it surely you'd learn who the dark ladies were and might even then be able to identify them just from the first clue you uncover. Yeah, and I actually thought exactly the same thing. Okay, I'm glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> I think the way it handles it, though, with the... Um, so you don't just say the name uh, of the of the dark lady to confront her. Hmm. Each dark lady has three characteristics and you have to match each characteristics. Like you said, Scruffy, just like Cluedo. Hmm. And... It's much harder to learn the three characteristics unless you try to. Unless you try and remember them, you mean? Yeah, if you tried to remember them, hmm. I'm sure you could. 
but why would you want to spoil a game for yourself? If that's what you yeah. want to do, then by all means, go for it. But you're just spoiling the game for yourself. Yeah, yeah. But it just felt a bit odd that they put a lot of effort into preventing you predicting a pathing that you'd have to put effort into learning, but then didn't prevent <laughs> you from just figuring out the answer. I guess, you know, maybe that's... Uh, Maybe that's just an oversight. But I should probably just clarify, when you get the clue cards, so the reason they have the suits is that for every lady you turn over that as a clue, it will say their three characteristics and then whether they match the other suits. So, for example, I, th- I think there are five suits. So it might you might turn over a lady and then you look at their three characteristics on the other side of the card, you see, okay, well, I'm using the acorn suit as my dark lady. How many of their characteristics match and it might be one it might be two it might be zero or two in some cases which adds a nice level of intrigue and so then when you've accumulated enough of those clue cards you can eventually go okay well if it has to be one of these ones and has to be two of these ones but it can be zero of those ones then it must be these three combination it's a game of deduction it's very interesting it feels like two games kind of merged together yeah it's a hidden movement game and then it's a deduction cluedo s game yes definitely and, and I, I like that a lot because uh I, i'm rubbish at deduction games <laughs> <laughs> i am not ashamed to say that i haven't won this game yet because i just i fall apart at the last moment i i think i feel like once i get five clues i'm like that's that's enough i think i can guess what they are and I've got it wrong every time. Really? Yeah, I I'm really bad at it. I, I can imagine that you found it relatively easy. I know your brain works a lot better for these types of things. How did you find the deduction element of the game? Well, I'm going to be that guy now and be like, oh, I just found it so easy. <laughs> because, uh, to be honest, I didn't I didn't struggle. Like, I tried to make it the hardest difficulty and tried taking out some of the clue cards to increase the, the difficulty. And the... My kind of problem with the game from my standpoint of finding it quite easy to do the deduction side is that, yeah, once you get about like four, if you're really lucky, you could probably do it off three ladies. But once you get four, maybe five ladies, you're able to guess at the dark lady pretty easily. And so it's then just a game of timings and how often you can get lucky and discover the dark lady because often when you're trying to find the dark lady she'll be in either one of two places and you're at one of them so you just hope she's she has hope she's here and and that's a, a nice moment of tension but it's also a little bit for me it felt quite random just like ah oh, well i've got a 50 50 shot like she could be here she could be there sometimes you'll be able to eliminate places like well there's no way she could be there because she went through there and then it becomes a bit more certain but in those cases you'll still have had to maneuver your counter towards that position so you might get a real lucky chance where you go i know for certain she's here but you have to have still made the guess to move over that way with the 50 50 information I'm so glad you said that as well, Scruffy. And another thing that really adds to the tension, I know you said it feels slightly random. I actually don't mind the randomness. I feel like it's it was absolutely required for this for this game to work anyway. But um, mm-hmm. one of the parts that I found really exciting was that you can't move and then search for her location. So even if you know where she is, sometimes you end up chasing her around. Like, well, I know for certain she's here. But I'm the space next to her. And she could move two different directions. <laughs> yeah. Do I stand my ground? Do I move? Do I try and guess her pattern? She, I know where she was previously. Does that mean she's more or less likely to move 
like to double back on herself. Like, and when it works, you know, I, I found myself a lot of the time cornering her and I'd be stood on Cornhill and I'm like, I know if I get a pile of coins that I, I've got her, right? And then you flip it over and it's and it's not. And you're like, oh, no. Or, or if it is, and you shake your fist in the air and go, yes, I've, I've got her. And I didn't expect it to be that exciting for a little 30-minute mm. game. I really enjoyed that element of it a lot. I yeah. understand what you're saying with it being a little bit easy on the deduction as well, but we'll we'll come to that more in a moment. Sorry, I interrupt you. What, what were you going to say, Scruffy? Oh, I was just going to say that I, I really, I, I think that the the real joy from it came from those moments where you find her. And I feel like it, I, I, I almost wish the game had lent into that more and not had this other side of it, which was then you go, okay, I did it. I found her. Okay, I think I can solve it. So push the game to one side. Let's see if I can solve it and play a completely different game, which is Cluedo. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it felt like for me, I was almost wanting it to really, really lean into that hidden movement thing. And I think in some ways, for me personally, I think the theme might have got in the way a little bit because it was trying to uncover this mystery, which isn't one I'm particularly interested in. I liked the theme. I thought it was pretty, but I could just imagine playing with the hidden movement thing with a kind of higher stakes so maybe you could play something like a a hunger games type thing or a you know a really really life and death situation where you're trying to go around and find the other contestants or whatever and and stay alive and you could still have a meta game in there that is the ultimate goal of maybe whatever it is but i think that you could do a lot more with that tension and that uncertainty and trying to track the movements and even knowing the movements so you know where to avoid for example would be quite fun having being chased by an alien maybe or something I don't yeah know. or even multiple because it doesn't take long to set up the decks does it uh... <laughs> <laughs> i was a bit like the, the one good thing i'd say about this game is like you said earlier it's quite quick games and it feels very you know relaxing and chill i just wish setup was a bit quicker because I found the faff of trying to alphabetize the cards a little bit cumbersome yeah. for a game that I, because I, it's like, like I say, it's very, very Moorish. It's very, you know, I, I've just played that game. I could, I'll, I'll do another one. Let's try, let's try finding an acorn lady. Let's try finding a, a thistle lady. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting because yeah, I, I do agree that the decks are the, uh, are the most fiddly part of the game, but that, that, that's what I was trying to say. Although that's the most fiddly part, it is just putting 26 cards in order, you know? So it's not particularly it's not particularly difficult. So the payoff that you get from the, the tension that, that creates and the clever movement that it creates for the very small bit of fiddliness which is putting 26 cards in order is I think a really healthy and nice trade-off, in my opinion. But that's fair. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed the game. And I, I agree with you, Scruffy, that I would actually quite like to see the hidden movement aspect executed slightly differently, you know, lent into a little more and pushed away the deduction side. Just because, for me personally, I am rubbish at deduction. (laughs) (laughs) I want to rush to the end. I'm like, oh, I think I got it. I don't stop to think. I get too excited, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, that's just... You just have to check your work. You just have (laughs) to check. Does it apply to all of... I've just I've always been the same, you know. As a, as a kid, I, I struggled with Cluedo. Uh, I remember I played Alchemists with a chap from our game group, Mitch, 
and uh, he he was saying, "Oh, you, you're doing so well on the worker placement side of things. You're 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 running circles around me on the on the points uh, here. If you just get one of these potions correct from the deduction, then you're going to easily win the game." I got every single one wrong, and I lost by a point. <laughs> it's like I just—it's really interesting because, in some ways, the hidden movement side of the game is a, a bit of deduction as well, isn't it? And so, it makes sense that they'd be the same thing, and that they're testing the same skill. Obviously, in a lot of games, I think you kind of struggle to work down what they're trying to test in the players. This one, it's very clear: it's testing your deductive reasoning, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, so for anyone who's not 100% familiar with deduction, with deduction, it's about eliminating possibilities until you get the right answer. So yeah, the game is testing you on deduction. And it feels like... So it's, it's cool that you could engage with the, the movement deduction, but not the, uh, the other one, which was kind of a different sort of layer of it. I think one of the reasons why I was able to do that, Scruffy, is because it's less... The deduction is less dry in the hidden movement it's a lot more exciting it's, it's a lot more yeah uh, only two places on the board she could be it's here or here okay now she moved to a church which means she's definitely here but i can't just go there and search for her i have to try and intercept her movement mm. and that's not in my hand so when it pays off it's like yes this is great and when it doesn't pay off you're like ah but that's uh, that's what i was saying earlier about it being a bit random so whilst it's trying to reward you for your deductive reasoning if you deduce where she's gone and you know oh i know she's here for certain the other side of the map to me it doesn't matter because you're on the other side of the map and the reason you're on the other side of the map is because you based on knowing that she's either here or here you chose left instead of right and you've ended up on the wrong side of the map and only now that you've had this extra bit of information have you been able to work out where she is it feels like the game should have some sort of means to reward you when you're able to deduce 100 percent she must be there and it doesn't which is a bit of a shame so when that happens to me i start to think okay right how many spaces is she away uh four okay how many locations do i have left to collect before I get my free clue. Because mm. as Ruffy said in the description, once you get all of the locations or visit all of the locations, you get a free clue. Mm. So sometimes I would actually just ignore where she's going. I'd go, okay, she's all the way over there. All right, whatever. I'm going to go to Suffolk. And then I'm going to collect all the bottom locations that I haven't been to yet. Because it will be quicker for me to do that than for me to move those four spaces and try and intercept her. And then maybe she'll actually move closer to me. I know you can only do that once, but that was a really liberating moment where I realized, actually, forget about her. (laughs) I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, I suppose in its its way, that is a reward for telling you, yeah, you need to do something else because you're not going to find her for a little while. Uh, I suppose that is a reward. And that that, that was quite fun. You know, it was quite quite freeing. Don't worry about her. That's whatever. She's doing her thing. Okay, I'm going to get my own clue. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, that's how it felt. Yeah. I, I want to come back to the mechanics in a moment, but one of the things I wanted to an- analyze was linked to the components. And as this is a print and play special episode, I didn't print my own copy. It was made for me by Kendall, who's been on the show, who was on episode five. He made it for me and he did a great job. But you made it yourself. I wanted to know this is a much bigger build than what we've done before when we covered orchard and when we covered railway station they're both either one or two pages of of printing 
How did you find building the game, Scruffy? But yeah, it, it tested me to my limits. It took some real crafting skills, I think. <laughs> like, um, you start. I started printing off, not really knowing what to expect, and I saw, wait, you have to put holes in these cards? What? <laughs> all sorts of weird stuff. So once I'd got them all sort of sandwiched, and it's, it's clever the way it gets you to print them off. It gets you to print off a sheet of cards, and they're the double-sided cards. And then it says, fold down this line around a piece of thicker paper, thicker paper or card, and then glue them on and, and cut them out. And you'll have the front and the back of the cards perfectly aligned. And, and that worked a charm. That was really good. But then for like, so, so there's quite a lot to print off. So you have obviously the 26 double-sided clue cards. You have, I think, about 10 fog cards. You have all the, the ladies that need printing off. I just um, literally just slotted them in some sleeves, actually. I didn't I didn't bother sticking them on cards. And then you have, obviously, the game board. There's a lot. There's a lot to do. It took a, an entire evening to get it all sort of printed and stuck while I was watching things in the background. And then to make the holes in the card as well, I had to, like, pull out a craft knife. I used quite thick cards, so it was a bit messy, but... The sense of satisfaction I got after doing that was really nice. Like, And I like that I own this game now and I can just pull it out and play it whenever I fancy. It's uh, a very rewarding experience for sure. Brilliant. And what you're left with once you make it is it's quite a small footprint game. Would you yeah. agree with that as well? Yeah, I mean... You can kind of play with cards held in your hand one deck and, and then you have... The board's not very big. It's sort of smaller than A4, I think. It's tiny. It's really small, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. It's a nice size. And also, I think I should just say that this is where the theme really does shine. That It's very pretty to look at. It's, it's a nice thing to own. It's like a, a decoration almost. And there's a certain comfort in it and... Yeah, I like it a lot on an aesthetic level. Because I, I posted a picture of my last play of the game, which I played last night, on our Discord in the Print and Play channel. And it looks like I'm playing on a tiny table. What I'm, what I'm actually doing is I'm playing on the reverse of a dinner tray that you would put on your lap. And I played that in bed. I was like, oh, I don't want to go downstairs to play a game. I'll, I'll do it here. So I grabbed a dinner tray, I flipped it over, and I... I, yeah, I, I played I played the game on my lap in bed. <laughs> That's really funny. I played it on my lap too. Every time I played, I had a kind of you know notice board, cork notice board type thing, and I just I, I used that as my playing surface. It felt like uh, felt like I was a real detective, you know, finding the clues and <laughs> the cork board gave it a real tactility that I like. <laughs> That's so cool. it's funny that we both had the same experience there of just sort of playing it on our laps. <laughs> oh yeah, looking at it like I think I could play this in bed. Yeah. Why wouldn't I play it in bed? <laughs> it's a very background game as well. Like once you've played it once or twice, and if you're if you're a sort of person that finds the puzzly stuff not too challenging, I was able to play it and have stuff on in the background. And you know, it's an it's a very uh very finger foody game, I guess. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Um well I can't say absolutely. I certainly found the uh hidden movement aspect uh, very finger foody, but um it's not to say it wasn't thrilling because as I said earlier, there are moments where, where sheer ecstasy at finding finding the dark lady. I need to I need to just find a few mental shortcuts when interpreting the clue cards and I think I'll I'll be fine. I just just need to take the time to get 
better at the game. But uh, no, I'm always too excited to rush to the end. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't resist flipping the Dark Lady card over. Did you use, they give you some sort of assisting tokens? Did you use those much? They're double-sided, just uh, you can flip them face up and down to decide, okay, it can't be this. She can't be a musical person because none of it matches the the ladies in front of me so didn't use them once i think that was they're quite probably... useful they're quite yeah. useful yeah, yeah i bet that really helps actually i want to just get it out now and start <laughs> start using that do them one at a time look at them and go could, could she be this well she could be this but only if this and then or could she be this oh, well she can't be that because if she was that then it wouldn't so we'll put that face down can't be that one <laughs> I mean, I often Welcome do that. One. This is where we teach Norm how to get good at games. <laughs> well, I did that the first few times I played. On the on the sort of last few times, I, I just played the game. And when I had about four clue cards, I tried to find the, the Dark Lady again. and went, okay, I think I can probably work it out now. So before I turn over a new clue, I'm going to do a bit of get my uh, corn cob pipe out and my <laughs> do, some, uh, do some research here, see if I can figure it out. And then usually I just confront her and and win <laughs> that's excellent and then it has a score and again I, this is where this is where i don't get on with this sort of thing because that score isn't a reward for your deduction i mean it is to a degree but it's much more a reward for how lucky you were <laughs> because the score is all based on how quickly you did it how many sort of turns of the stealth deck you did it in rather than being based on, for example, how many clue cards you have face up in front of you. or I don't know how else you could do it, but it feels like the reward is, yep, you just you, you, you lucked out and you, you discovered her at just the right times. I guess there's a, a bit of a, a, a mini game in there of trying to manage your clues, like you only want to get the clue from locations last because it means you're turning over less cards uh, whenever you try to find the Dark Lady, I guess. but that's the... no 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 I, I'm not interested in the score I, I saw that they were scoring in the game and I ignored the rules entirely You, there is a win condition and there are loss conditions and that's all that matters you either find her and you celebrate or you don't find her and you don't celebrate I think the score is pretty useless in my opinion I agree I think that's totally fa- fair and I think in that way it makes the difficulty cap for the game a bit lacking like I feel like it needs to have a bit more it's got the rose dark ladies which are uh, uh, meant to be a bit harder but they're not that much harder really and that's about it other than the sequence being that she can move one or zero spaces i don't know how you could make it harder but the only way the game then says you can make it harder is by removing the fog cards to improve your score and again that just feels like it's a timing issue yeah i'm not sure one of the notes i made was i can imagine this game is solvable and i didn't mean solvable as in you just do x y and z and you're guaranteed to win but i what i mean by that is more of a feeling more of a feeling of oh yes black sonata i know how that works i know how you win at the game I don't need to come back to it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like, because obviously I I enjoy the little puzzle, but it feels a lot more like a Sudoku where you're just going to solve it eventually and you just need to look at it long enough. It doesn't, for me anyway, unless you get really unlucky and that's not a failing in your deduction, I think it's very difficult to imagine how I could lose other than just 
she could be in this location or this location. Oh, I got it wrong again. But I think to some extent that that becomes a bit more predictable. Like the first stop, game, stop, sorry, stop rubbing it in. Uh, well, I mean, you what you you once you once you start getting the hang of it too, I think you'll you'll reach the same conclusion. Like I think it's oh uh, yeah. Yeah, but I think that you're able to start predicting the pattern a bit better as you go through the deck. So it's you know it does become a case of inevitable victory, which isn't very exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I do I do agree that there is some level of I know how to win Black Sonata now, um, and I can imagine like once you create a few little mental shortcuts as to this is how you deduce who she is. Once you get better at knowing how to track her down and better predict her movements, it, it can feel a little samey. Now, I'll come back to that point in a moment because does that matter? I don't think it does, and I'll come back to why I think that in a moment. Cool. But first, I feel like I should say why I really liked the game or what I really liked about it. And we spoke a little bit about the components when we were talking about printing the game and making it yourself. I feel like the design of this game is so slick and the components all justify their existence. That's really important for a print and play anyway. But in this game, I felt like the components weren't just... I mean, how many times in in, in gaming do you see unnecessary components, right? Yeah. Components to sell the game. Every component in this game is, is justified multiple times and I... I'll go through how elegant it is now. So let's let's talk about the three decks of cards, the fog cards, the location cards, and the stealth cards. So the stealth cards do multiple things in that they show you where she could possibly be, but then on the other side show you whether you've successfully found her. The the way in which you interact with that and when you search for the Dark Lady is so slick because you, you take one off the top of the stealth deck and you place a fog card underneath. That fog card is already serving a purpose in that you don't know what card is underneath now. Yeah, you don't look. When you take the one off the top, you kind of have to shimmy the fog card under it so you don't see the next stealth card. Which is a little bit awkward, but the important thing to note is that that fog card already is serving a purpose, but it's going to serve another one in the future, and I'll, I'll come back to that. The location cards, which you are collecting for your free clue, are then used for a second purpose of sliding underneath the the stealth card you've just taken off the top in order to reveal her identity. If you found her, or regardless of whether you found her or not, you then have to, um, as Scruffy said in his intro, remove the top number of cards equal to the number of clues you already have from the top of the stealth deck, meaning that the Dark Lady's moving without you knowing where she's going. And it's all because of the, the fog card. The, the, these these little cards are so intricately linked with each other. And it's so simple to understand and to do physically. I was just blown away. And then the reason I said make a note of the fact that the fog cards are already serving a purpose, what's great about them is when you see that fog card again, when you cycle through the stealth deck and you see it again, you have the option to flip that card over and it gives you a bonus action on the bottom. And that was just like, okay, this game is so clever. Mm. This game is so clever. All of these cards serve more than one purpose. Every card is like double-sided or they all serve one pur- more than one purpose. Even the Dark Lady cards, 
they, they tell you the characteristics of the Dark Lady that's on the picture and also give you clues to what your own Dark Lady might be. Nothing, no, None of the cards do just one thing. They all do multiple things. And I thought that was so clever and very easy not to notice. But I certainly noticed it and I thought this design is so slick. The designer has clearly thought of multiple uses for each. It would have been very easy just for the fog card to just be a fog card. But then he thought, no, I want to include, well, I don't know, but I'd imagine that they would have thought, no, I want to include bonus actions as well. How am I going to do that in the most simple and streamlined way I can? And it's just, yeah, these little things, it would have been very easy for us not to talk about them because they are only small things. But I think they really made the game shine. It feels very polished for a game that is absolutely 100% free to download and print from BoardGameGeek. I loved it. Yeah, there's like no wasted space as well. So anytime there's a blank space on the card, there's a reason for it. Yeah. So, for example, on the reverse side of the stealth, uh, stealth cards, there's a lot of blank space, but that's because they need to be blank space to show you haven't found the Dark Lady. It's that absence of information is important. Uh, on the back of the location cards where there could be blank space, but it doesn't need to be, there's a cute quote from Shakespeare adding a bit of flavor and intrigue. So there isn't any blank space there. They've just filled it with some theme and intrigue. The pictures on the back of the stealth cards, there's a lot of blank space around them, which makes it easier to shimmy the fog cards under. I mean, stuff like that, it's all really cleverly designed. And I really appreciate that. I think that's that's really good and really amazing. I think also it's worth bringing back, circling back to the fog cards because I feel like there's something there in the, the choice as to whether to take that bonus action or not. And the way it works is, like I say, on your turn, you can have a pass, your turn, move or search. Or if there's a fog card on the top, obviously you can't search because the Dark Lady's not in any location, but instead you just take that card and resolve its bonus action. Often it'll get you a new clue card. It might, might mean you can teleport around the board a bit, whatever. Usually you'll be able to slot it back to the bottom of the fog deck. So you're incentivized to do it because it will elongate the game for you. But then that is also by, by actually choosing to take the card, you're allowing the Dark Lady to move further because she'll move next turn based on you've just taken the fog card away, if that makes sense. Although, do you replace it with one from the fog deck? You do replace it with one from the fog deck. Ah, so what, the reason I'm getting confused is because some of those cards, you discard them and don't replace them, right? Yes. So it's very... Um, so when you choose to resolve a fog bonus action, you lift it up in the same way you would normally, and without looking, you place a new fog card underneath. Mm-hmm. You then flip it over, and you, it tells you what the new bonus action would be now it can be good it can be really good but it can be just awful it can just make you closer to losing some of them just say discard this card and now you've just wasted a fog card because when all your fog deck is depleted you lose the game so there's like a really it's, it's tension and i feel like where this game excels is all of the areas where tension is introduced and that is when you're trying to intercept the dark lady and when you're searching for the Dark Lady, and when you're choosing whether or not to use a fog card. And those three elements of the game, I think, make it great. I I was going to say 
earlier I mentioned could this game feel not necessarily solvable but a bit like you've you've been there you've done that you don't need to keep coming back to it I said yes that that is true but is it a problem I think the fact that the game is free the fact that the game takes 30 minutes to play the fact that the game packs a lot of interesting tension and moments of yes yes I've got her now (laughs) I think the fact that you can come back to it even if you get five to ten plays out of it it's a free game it takes 30 minutes to play I think it's absolutely worth giving a go just for that yeah I mean in terms of its narrative potential I felt like it was a little bit lacking like Every story felt the same. I wasn't yeah. excited when I found a different dark lady because they all are just interchangeable with three symbols and those symbols are meant to represent things, but I never really felt like they did. I never really cared whether they liked music or were romantic. It didn't it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I don't know why that is and I don't know how you would solve that in this game and whether it's just a theme issue with the theme as it is. And maybe it's just a, a personal preference. But yeah, I didn't... And maybe to some extent, the thing that I was saying about the luck and the randomness is is the story. Like one game I started and first turn she was in either the space above me or the other side of the map. Next turn, she could have been in my space. I checked. Oh, she was. What a great start, right? That's quite a fun little moment, I guess. Yeah. But it didn't feel at all interactive. Yeah, the, the, the narrative does play out very similarly uh, every time in my experience as well. I completely agree with you there, Scruffy. But yeah, I still really enjoy it. I feel like I feel like you might be at a point where you're done with the game. I personally feel like I got a good five more plays to go, maybe more. So I'm still excited to come back to it and play it some more. Well, I think, you know, even though I've been a bit harsh on it, I feel like I could I could definitely see myself picking it up and just having something to do it's a fun little activity to engage in that doesn't require too much setup or tear down and it's yeah it's it's chill it's nice so i I can totally see myself going back and and picking it up of an evening (laughs) play a couple (laughs) of rounds of black sonata why not i mean if nothing else just to be able to interact with something that i made myself again there's a real joy in that isn't there that if you if you devote a little bit of time into just making something making some cards and sticking paper on other paper that you you want to you want to play with that you know it's it's your own craft and it's it's fun to engage with your own craft and and have it as something that you can revisit yeah and i don't want to appear too harsh on it either because like i said i still have a few i definitely still got at least a few more games left in this and if you feel like we're wrong if you've played sonata if, if you played black sonata 50 times and you think it's absolutely replayable and we're wrong for 17 different reasons please feel free to write in let us know because we would love to be proven wrong because i actually love i think the design is incredible i think it's so slick and i think it's really important to say that it's a nice feeling being rewarded for putting in the time to make something and have it turn out to be something that's really well designed so I can imagine it would be really disappointed, for example, if you were to do a print and play and put in loads of effort to make something and then have loads of really superfluous components. Having this and know that every bit of effort you put in, you've got a really high functioning bit of 
equipment yeah. now. It's yeah. uh, yes, it, important. Absolutely, and the design is so. Like I said, I keep saying the design is so slick. It's it's amazing, and you know what? As well, Scruffy, and another reason why I know that I'm going to keep this in my collection, and even when I get to, even if when I get to your to where you are with the game, I think I'm still going to come back to it on occasions because this scratches a different itch to anything else in my solo collection. I don't own anything like Black Sonata to play solo. There are no other hidden movement solo games that I own. And there are definitely no other solo deduction games that I own. And for that alone, that's worth, that justifies its existence in my collection, I think, because I, I don't own anything else like this. And I, yeah, it doesn't look like, it's a real shame, it doesn't look like there are other games like it. I, if you guys know any other solo hidden movement games, please let us know because I've really enjoyed chasing around the Dark Lady around London and I, I want to do it some more. So yeah, let, let me know. But yeah, yeah, really, really enjoyable game in my opinion. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to second that and say if you guys do know of any other hidden movement games, please let us know, especially because I'd love to see it in different themes. And I think for anyone who is interested in game design, this is a, a must play if you're if you're at all interested in creating anything with hidden movement or you, you might want to incorporate into your mechanics or you just want to have that sort of tension there. Because I think we both agree that that was the highlight of the game was yeah. when you think she's in your place, but she could be somewhere else, but she or even if you're certain she's in your place, just the 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 movement of placing your location card under and then peeking through that little spy hole, it's the thing you were talking about in the last episode, in some ways, it's a uh, it's a performative connect there, where you're doing literally maybe what your character's doing, trying to spy the dark lady through the <laughs> through the keyhole in the thing, and and that's nice, but it's also it's a, a nice feeling when you look for something and see that it's there, or you look for something and you see that it's not there. It's you know it's 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 good. It's good abstraction. It's good game language, and. I think the way it works is very clever and very neat. Yeah. I think my final thoughts on Black Sonata would be, this is a very well-designed game. Is it a game I want to play 50-odd times? Probably not. Does that matter? Not really, in my opinion. And, uh, a lot of games I don't play 50-odd times that I rank really highly. I think this is a, a, a great design, and I had a lot of fun playing it. And... I will, <laughs> when I win my first game, I will put it up on the Discord and we'll all <laughs> You have to say what score you got as well. I, I, yeah, I mean, score. <laughs> I think I'm proud to own this game. That's, that's kind of my final thoughts. I'm proud that I put it together and sat through the, the process of making it and that I've, I've been able to play it and interact with it and I look forward to playing it some more. It's, yeah, it's, it's a good game to have in your collection, for sure. Great. I think that's a great segue into the next portion of the show. If you're a long-term listener, then you know at this point we like to look at the responses we got from last episode and ask you guys a new question for this episode. Scruffy, what's the uh, question for this episode? The question this episode is, what's something you've made for yourself or for your gaming collection that you're proud of? It could be a game, a whole print and play game like we did with Black Sonata, or it could be a component for a game, maybe a dice tower, maybe who knows. And uh, we'd love to see pictures too in our Discord if you're a member. And also, you know, what 
was it necessary? How did it enhance the gameplay, if at all? Or was it purely aesthetic? But let us know, because I know we've got a lot of crafty people on our Discord, and we probably sound like savages, you know, trying to crudely cut at our black and Oh, I definitely sound like a savage, because I made somebody else make the game for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we would love to see what you've been working on, you know. Uh, I think that would be awesome. Yeah, like my Black Sonata, I'm proud of it, but it's not good. Like the the holes in it are so messy and the cards are all kind of misaligned and stuff. But to me, that kind of makes it mine and it makes me feel happy when I see it. It makes me in, enhances my enjoyment of the game than if I'd bought a published copy of it, I think. Kendall gave a tip on the on the holes in Black Sonata. He said oh, yeah. it came out a little bit messy as well. He said he... he followed through with a black felt pen and it kind of darkened the the inside of the hole and it made it appear much more neat than what it actually was so that's a nice little chat hack or a nice little cheat if you want to if you want to give that a go well thanks for the tip kendall <laughs> should we look at responses we got from the last episode i would love to okay so the first response we got was from peter and he said in our discord I thought this was a really nice compliment, actually. He said, in general, I would say that I personally am not interested in solo RPGs. That's because, obviously, last episode we covered The Wretched, which is a solo RPG. He said, nonetheless, I really enjoyed the episode. This is definitely thanks to you and how you approach the topic. I think when he says you, he was speaking about me specifically, right? Of course, of course. (laughs) (laughs) No, but um, you know that's probably like the best we can hope for, right? That you're not interested in the game, but you still enjoy the episode. That's... Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm I'm really really glad to hear that. Uh, I don't know if have you have you checked out my wretched thing? I, I can't remember who commented on that. I got some really lovely comments from my wretched playthrough on the Discord. I feel so bad now. I can't remember who who was being so lovely about it. But yeah, if you if you aren't interested in the game but are interested in the topic around it and and maybe just interested in having the experience of the game without actually playing it because you might not fancy playing it then 100% recommend having a listen to that if you haven't already but obviously if it's not at all your thing then yeah obviously not not for you that's cool but what a lovely thing to say thank you peter you're you're an absolute superstar the next one we got was from hugo um who's banana republic in the discord And he said, to answer your question from the podcast, I have so many moments that I remember. I think it's important to highlight that the question last week was, what's the most impactful moment you've had during a game? He said, the one that stuck with me the most is this little pixelated indie game called To The Moon. So it's a video game. Mm -hmm. He says, nothing fancy, and it's purely focused on storytelling. He never thought a game like that would have him crying. He said one of the best stories he's seen in any kind of media, including movies, games, etc. Um, the general idea is that two doctors go into an old older gentleman's subconscious to grant him a final wish before he passes. Uh, but it's actually all in his mind. If he says he thinks it came out in 2012, and he put a link to it in a Discord, which I think we'll put in the description in case other people are interested. But yeah, that sounded super interesting. Yeah, 
I think it's amazing the power that different media can have over us. Uh, I mentioned it a lot in the last episode that I was so surprised about the wretched being able to do it and take me to such a personal place. But kind of on reflection, I realized I've had that personal experience in other ways and, and maybe not in the same way as with wretched, but with just every, with so many different things. And it's it's really amazing to me how much we can get from watching other performances or interacting with other media, whether it's games or whatever. But yeah, video games are, I think, really, really powerful in that way. Uh, I'm reminded of things like uh, Undertale, and there's a few moments in that that really, really stood out for me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I saw this comment and I'm very keen to, to try out the game. We also had Kendall write in. He said, just finished the latest episode. Some interesting thoughts there. I think the whole it's scarier because it came from my mind is a great point. In the book Understanding Comics, the author Scott McCloud calls this closure. And it really does sound like The Wretched and maybe solo role-playing games in general are a really good example of closure, giving you inputs and then the story happen in the gap between them. I was pretty sceptical about solo role-playing games and really couldn't see the appeal until I had this thought while listening. So I think we're saying there, I, don't, I know you don't need me to explain this to you, Scruffy, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I think what you're saying there is that this this idea of closure is the is is you know you're given a prompt and then you make that prompt what it is in your mind and i think that's exactly how the wretched works isn't it yeah i mean i saw the comic book strip that uh, kendall referenced and that it's something like a and somebody's hitting someone with an axe or something and then the next panel is just an ai scream and the final panel is the the person saying yeah you all kind of read that differently the axe swung with a different force the scream was different everyone reading it i think that's really important the the personal projection onto media and it, it links back to what banana was just saying there that you know for for him that story was so meaningful and impactful perhaps if i were to play it i wouldn't have come away feeling the same things or anything close to what banana experienced but that they did is totally, obviously totally valid, but also I just think wonderful. I think it's probably the thing I'm most passionate about is the connection that a reader or viewer or player has when encountering material. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I agree entirely. It's 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 so important that you're allowed to project your own or there's gaps left deliberately for you to project your own narrative onto the game or onto whatever form of medium we're, we're talking about because that is where the story lies. It's not on in the film. It's not in the book. It's, it's in your mind, right? It's the way you interpret it. And yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, well made from both you and Kendall. Um, we got time for one more? Yeah. Okay, so we also had Kiwi first write in, and he said he just wanted to comment on what's been the most affecting moment for him in recent times. It would have to be finally beating two cities in Mage Knight. 
Nice. Sitting back and triple checking the numbers, I was just in awe that I was actually going to pull it off. I don't think the emotion was all about the victory, but just how far I had come from those early games where you would struggle to deal with two two enemies, let alone a whole city. Your skill level increases huge in this game. And I just realized how far you have to come with your planning and execution. I just sat back and stared at the cards thinking, I've done it. Wow. It was a very special moment. That is so cool to hear. And yeah, I totally get that. I've had that exact same feeling with Mage Knight specifically and a load of other games. And yeah, it's it's a really, really lovely feeling, isn't it? It's a nice moment, that triumph. Because I think when we talk about uh, things that are affecting, it's very easy to go to the dark side and look at what affects us emotionally or shakes us and stuff. But it's important to remember those times that we're affected in a triumphant way, you know, and that those are absolutely worth talking about and that those are just as impactful as the times we're shaken or scared. Do you think I'll have a similar experience when I finally find the Dark Lady? I don't think you ever will. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you will. I'm sure you'll you'll be posting in Discord tomorrow telling everyone how you did it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if tomorrow is the day of release then maybe i can play it a few times. <laughs> just need to do a rocky montage and <laughs> get good oh dear well i think that's all we've got time for for now before we leave you as always uh if you want to contact the show there are many ways you can do that the question for this week again if you want to run that by them scruffy yeah it was what is something you have made for yourself a craft which is either a, a game, a whole game, or maybe just a component for a game that you're very proud of in your gaming collection. And uh, pictures are always welcome in our Discord. Excellent. So as Scruffy said, there's, that's one way you can contact us. You can join our Discord, which the link is in the description. If you don't want to do that, though, you can email us at alwaysplayeronepodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook and message us there. The links to our Facebook are in the description. We're also on Instagram at alwaysplayeronepodcast. You can also support the show at www.patreon.com forward slash alwaysplayeronepodcast. For becoming a patron, you'll get a number of different rewards, but one of the biggest selling ones is you get an extra episode Every off week where we don't release on here, we release a mini episode on Patreon. It is called the planning phase and it's behind the scenes look at how we choose what games we're covering. We also open up polls on our Patreon so our Patreon users get to have a say on what we're covering next. Yep, we actually have a poll which is closing today. It'll be closing at midnight tonight, UK time. So if you do get to hear this episode and you want to have a say in our next episode, then if you quickly sign up for Patreon, you can vote today. But if you're listening in the future, look out for the next polls. Absolutely. And like you said, any tier that you select on our Patreon will get you the planning phase. So if you can afford it, feel free to uh, jump over on Patreon and I would really appreciate your support. Uh, But I think that's everything for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. You're awesome. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. The links to that are in the description. 
We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going.